Okay, um, good morning. Uh, we're going to start this morning by thinking about weddings, which is a nice summary topic. Um, so behind me there should appear a picture of some of the most luxurious um, weddings and wedding props um, and things at the moment. So you can see some of the most magnificent <coughs> cakes that have been in around in recent years, um, some of the most luxurious dresses, and you can only just begin to imagine the detail that has gone into making those. Um, when I was looking at this, there was even a dress completely made of diamonds. And obviously nobody's actually worn it, but it was designed as a wedding dress anyway. We've got up there some of the most luxurious wedding venues at the moment. So you can get married on the London Eye, if you want to. Um, Houses of Parliament now do weddings, so you can get married there as well. Um, and even Kew Gardens is apparently one of the best places to get married at the moment. That's just within the UK. Um, so weddings. The industry is getting bigger and bigger. Apparently, if you want to make money, you need to go into the wedding business or the baby business, because that's where people are spending more and more money. And if you think of everybody involved, you've got caterers, florists, dressmakers, beauticians, and the list is endless. The average wedding in the UK now costs more than £18,000. And when you get into inner London, it goes up to about £40,000. And, you know, it is a special day. I'm by no means a wedding grouch. I love a good wedding. Um, but all of that effort and work is for that one special day. And there was a survey that said if the average bride-to-be got paid for all the hours that she put into planning her wedding, she should be paid about £10,000. Plus the groom and the hours that he might put in as well. <laughs> which would be a bit less. <laughs> so um, today we are talking about a bride. We're talking about the church. The blueprint in the Bible for the church is that we are the bride of Christ and Jesus wants to build a marriage with us. Church is not just one of God's top tips for being a healthy Christian. It is the bride he has chosen to present to his son. And God uses weddings and marriages to illustrate to us the relationship between Jesus and the church. You could say that the very reason marriage was created in the first place was to reflect a glimpse of this bigger plan. We're going to watch uh, a three-minute video now, um, which explains this parallel a little bit more. Loud, isn't it? So if you're sitting here today as a believer, a part of the church, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus has pursued us, given himself up for us, made us pure and spotless, made promises to us, and all because he loves the church. Today we're going to look at how it's even possible for Jesus to call us, the church, spotless and pure, and what our response should be to that. So let's have a look at those verses in Ephesians. Um, if you want to turn to chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, and we're going to read verse 25 to 32, and it will come up behind me as well. It says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
So we're basically talking about a love story between Jesus and the church today. And like all good love stories, it has to start with a pursuit. Martin and I always have this debate about who pursued who first in our relationship. See, I remember the summer before we started dating, um, but we were Facebook friends already, so you know, we were spying each other out. And um, during the summer holidays, I remember going away with my family and coming back and choosing very carefully which photos I would upload to that album, hoping that Martin might have a look at that and I could portray this very sophisticated and elegant person to him. Um, now, Martin was obviously doing the same and thinking about which photos he could upload. And the one that really stands out from that summer is him kind of lounging out in his friend's convertible, having just shaved off all of his hair. Needless to say, I, uh, I did doubt my pursuit at that, po- at that point. Um, you, can, you can imagine, can't you? But unlike us, Jesus doesn't look for beauty or perfection in the way that we do. Notice the order in verse 25. He loved, and out of that love, he gave himself up. And the aim of that, well, verse 26 says, was to sanctify and cleanse us, which in effect makes us beautiful. So Jesus loved the church before we were beautiful. Earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 1, it says that Jesus chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I read a quote that explains this. It says, we were not chosen because he could see we were holy. He chose us because he planned to make us holy. And that is good news for us as a church, because church can be really messy sometimes. You may have experienced hurt in the church yourself. In fact, it can seem really unattractive and the worst possible choice as a bride for Jesus. But being perfect, spotless, or beautiful was never a requirement. It's he that makes us these things and not ourselves. So to be the bride of Christ means to be loved with an unconditional and free love. And Jesus' intention in pursuing us is to invite us to be his bride. We were at a friend's wedding recently, and um, Andrew Wilson was doing the talk there, and he talked about that moment when the bride walks into a wedding. Most of us have probably um, been in that kind of situation where we've been to a wedding, and there's that hubbub around the room, and then somebody comes in and gives the nod that the bride is here, we're ready. And that hush goes over the room, doesn't it? And as that bride walks in, you can feel the emotion in the room, and there's a wowed silence as she walks down the aisle. If you catch a glimpse back at the groom's expression at that moment, he's just completely stunned, isn't he? He's like the cat that got the cream as that beautiful, spotless bride walks towards him. And believe it or not, that's how Jesus sees the church. Not because we've put on great evangelistic events or we've baptized X amount of people in that year, but because of what he has done. He gave himself up to make her holy. It's Jesus' death on the cross that allows us to not just be a guest at the most amazing wedding ever, but to be the bride. His death was the dowry that he paid for us as the church. So, to be the bride of Christ means to be loved with an unconditional, free, and self-sacrificing love. That same verse again, verse 25, Christ gave himself up for her. Jesus' death was for his bride-to-be. His love is directed at us, the church. And we all have love for others, don't we? For our friends and our family. But the way a husband loves a wife is different. It's specific and it's directed at her. I know the way that Martin loves me is different to the way that he would love anybody else. 
And we need to know that Christ's love for the church is like that of a husband for a wife. And we talk about marriage as if this gives uh, a good metaphor for Christ's relationship to the church, but actually we need to flip it around the other way. Because actually God wasn't inspired by marriage for how to love us. The very reason marriage was created was to illustrate how Jesus loves us. You could say that God invented pursuit, romance, commitment, and promises so that we can get that glimpse of how Christ loves the church. In fact, it goes right back to Genesis. An interesting insight, if we consider Adam and Eve, Eve was taken from Adam's side and brought to Adam like a bride being presented to her groom. And then Jesus dying on the cross with a spear in his side so that we might become his bride one day to be presented to him. And then at a wedding, a groom waits while his bride is prepared for him, and then she arrives at his side. So God wasn't looking for a useful metaphor that makes his point. It was built into his entire plan. It's throughout the entire scriptures. The relationship between the church and Jesus was intentional right from the word go. And that intentionality is quite countercultural for us. We're not really known for our commitment, are we? We're more known for relationships almost getting to marriage and lots of marriages almost lasting the course. In fact, we even have a word for it. It's called gamophobia, which means the fear of commitment. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't have this problem. He doesn't have gamophobia. He pursues his church relentlessly for a reason. So, to be the bride of Christ means to be loved with an unconditional, free, self-sacrificing, and distinguished or marked out love. So if that's how special the church is and how Jesus sees it, is that how we see it? What's our response to be called the bride of Christ? There's lots in Ephesians about uh, church being God's idea, um, but it's not enough for us to be part of the global church, the universal church. We're called to be committed to a specific local church. Why? Well, it's the best way to grow and be healthy as a Christian, but also it's the visible body of Christ in the world. The church is God's vehicle for getting the good news out there because the bride in a marriage isn't just for romance and not just for that one special day, but the bride goes into a partnership with the groom. A marriage has purpose and it has plans and the same applies for the church and Jesus. We are partnering with Christ to continue his work in the world. And that's amazing that Jesus chose the church, which is us guys, to be the vehicle that takes the gospel to all people. And we see it in the New Testament. You see the apostles planting churches left, right, and center um, and caring for them as individual churches. In fact, almost every time the word, a church, the word church appears in the New Testament, it's referring to a specific local group of people. See, the disciples, they got the big picture. They got the, the big church idea. Um, you know, all those saved into God's kingdom but they never took that away from those people around them and what that meant for their daily lives. And God expects us to be a part of this too because we are a part of it. We saw on that video that we take Jesus' name. We're Christians, so we are his bride. And no matter how messy and disillusioned church can become, he'll still call us his bride. There's a, start, uh, a, start, there's a quote by John Stott uh, that will come up behind me as well. Uh, which describes this beautifully. 
it says this. On earth, she is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day, she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labours to beautify her in order to present her to himself. And this is why Jesus is continuing to beautify us, to present her to himself as a radiant church. Think how much labouring goes into the bride on her wedding day. You know, it can start at six, seven o'clock in the morning. She's got to have her beauty, her you know, makeup done by the beauticians, her hair done, make sure the dress is fitted. Friends and family are all gathering around to make her the best for her groom. They want to make her exactly as the groom would want in that moment, to glorify both her and the groom. Really, on your wedding day, you want to look the most beautiful you've ever looked. And don't we want to look the most beautiful we've ever looked for Jesus? He's not concerned with our outward appearance. 1 Peter 3 tells us that, and that instead he's more concerned with our inner self, our quiet and gentle spirit. And again, that's countercultural, isn't it? All that preparation on a wedding day is about how the bride looks. It's all physical, isn't it? Barely any, if any, time is put into how she might behave or her values or the values she's going to take on from the groom. But these are the things, the very things which will honour Jesus um, and glorify God. So when people see the church, our little church and the big global church, do they see our outward appearance first? Or are they stunned and wowed by our character, our behaviour and our values? Do we look set apart, holy, in a way which is only physically possible because of Jesus? And it matters for us to hear this because a wholehearted relationship with a local church is God's plan for me and for every other follower of Christ. His plan has always been that the church will be the bride for his son. So we need to embrace it and let it invade our lives. I remember back when Martin and I were in our pursuing phase, quite near the beginning, and we had that chat that you always have about your dreams and visions for the future. Where do you see your life going, your calling? And I said to Martin, oh, I just yeah, imagine going back to Africa. I'm going to build an orphanage. I'm going to love the little children who aren't loved. And then I dared to ask that question back to Martin. What about you? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? And he said, well, I've got a real heart for young people in the UK. And, you know, and get involved with a local church. And I sat there and thought, what a boring dream. Come on, in the UK, just being part of a local church. Um, and I remember that moment, there was that slight pause where we kind of looked at each other like, huh, this doesn't seem like we're going in the same direction. But we just ignored it and carried on dating anyway. Um, and I remember then we got engaged and telling friends, and, oh, you know, I'm getting married. And, and they'd say, oh, so you're not going back to Africa after uni then? What about your dreams? Are you giving up your dreams for a boy? But the point is that back then, I didn't get it. I didn't really get the point of a local church. I didn't really get who it is, that it's the bride of Christ. That actually, you know, when you think, oh, what could be my, my best life? You make plans, don't you? Oh, I'll imagine this life in Africa. Do you know what? God says that my best plan for you is in this church, and it's going to be more fun and more exciting than anything else that you could dream up yourself. Do you know, I'm beginning to get that. 
Because sometimes we can have these really big dreams of how we want to serve God and see him work, but we don't really see a reason to commit to a church or get involved or learn to love it because it's not always love at first sight. We often want God's heart for the poor or the marginalized or the lost, but do we really want God's heart for the church? In marriage prep, they tell you to learn to love what the other person loves. I've been to two West Ham matches now. (laughs) And I just, I know, I just hoped the whole time that they wouldn't score because I didn't know how to celebrate passionately at this game. (laughs) But but you know, it, uh, it, it doesn't always come naturally, does it? When we think of the church, some of us, you know, some people here I know, and you know, we talked about the Ashhurst earlier and the passion we can see in people's lives for the church, but it isn't always love at first sight. Um, we've been here eight years now uh, in Seaford, and I have to pray so much, and over, especially in the beginning of those years, I had to pray, God, give me a heart for Seaford and this town, but give me a heart for the church. What is it all about? What are we doing here? Because just because we don't feel something doesn't mean we don't need to pursue it. We often think, ah, oh, just, you know, I get excited when I think about this part of serving or um, going out and doing this kind of adventure or mission. And we think, oh, well, I'll follow that because that's where my heart is at. But sometimes we have to actively pursue stuff and say, God, what is it? What do you feel about the church? Help me to see that. Because God has so much more in store for us than just a flippant, critical relationship with the church. We need to see again that Christ died for his church to make us his bride because he loves the church that much. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to Peter and he's asking him, do you love me? And he asks him three times. And we might expect him to say, okay, so you love me, well, evangelize to the world, live outstandingly. But instead, he tells Peter to love the church. He says to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus' heart is for his church, his bride, that he has prepared and is continuing to prepare. So what does that look like for us then, to commit to being that bride of Christ, to see it as a marriage that is worth working at? Well, first of all, like I said, we need to pray. We need to ask God, how do you see the church? You know, God has chosen us as the bride for his son. That's not a decision God has taken lightly. So we need to ask for a heart for that. Give us a heart for your church. We need to join and put our roots down somewhere. When we first came to Seaford, we thought, well, it's probably going to be a training ground. You know, we'll get some training here. We'll see how a church plant works, and then we'll take that and move that on somewhere else. We're still here eight years later because we realize that's not how you see a church. You don't see it as a pit stop or a trial run. You see it as your home. We need to make our local church a priority. You know, when when we open our diary, I'm a real diary person, still paper and pen. Can't be doing with this digital business. And I open it and I look at my week and I think, right, okay, how are we going to fit in church here? Is there an evening in the week where we could have someone around? Okay, Sunday morning, how are we going to work the logistics of getting to church? And I know that we need to change that. We need to open the week and be like, right, church. How is my week going to reflect church? And we need to share our passion. Think about how do you talk about church to other people? to non-believers. I've had those conversations with friends before, um, talking about teaching, and they use that phrase, they say, oh, when you talk about it, your eyes really light up. You must love that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, I do, I love it. But I'm yet to have somebody say that to me when I talk about church, and that's kind of my goal. 
I want someone to say to me when they hear me talk about the global church, God's idea of church across the world, and about King Seaford, I want them to see my eyes light up with passion. And if you don't feel that passion, well, I need to pray more that I would feel that passion for church. So whatever else we think of church, good and not so good, church is more than just God's top tip. It's more than what is just good for us. It is the bride of Christ. It's set apart for Jesus by God the Father, and we get to be a part of it. You know, I was trying to think of um, stories to share about friends that you can really see that passion in, friends that you would say, wow, look how much they love the church. And I was texting friends, and I got some amazing stories back, but it's probably just applicable this morning to say, well, let's talk to, like, talk to the Ashers. If you want to know, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? How do I make the church that important in my life? Because that's how important it is to God. Well, Jez spoke about the Ashers earlier, and like an amazing example, um, so talk to them. They've lived it out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to finish there and uh, hand over to Jez. <laughs>